Fantastic. So good to be here again. It's been a while since I've been at Hamilton Hill. Nice to see you guys. Uh, thank you, uh, Pastor Ants and Pastor Potter. You guys flipping rock. And it's just always such an inspiring thing to sit under you as you worship, Potter, and uh, to hear you minister in the spirit. Ants, you guys are absolutely amazing. You're going to have to pray for us. Church up in Auckland, we've, we just, uh, we've just sold our house. We're moving, trying to move closer to the church, uh, which is great, except that as you move closer to the city, property prices go up. As you can imagine, so uh, we uh, we just we're kind of looking at our garden shed. Um, it's hoping we can maybe get in there, which is pretty exciting. It's been interesting because um, where we are, they're putting lots of new subdivisions in, which is great. You know, solve the Auckland housing crisis, but they're not putting any more roads in. And so, uh, week before last, on a Wednesday, I drove into the office. It took me two hours from my front door to the front door of my office at church, and that was with no crashes. That was just like traffic. I mean, I could actually, I could actually work for Ants, come down as his associate pastor, and spend less time traveling every day than I currently do in Auckland, which is why we're shifting anyway. So we'd really appreciate your prayers. Now, it's great to be here, and I get to speak about a very interesting topic today. And that, the question that we're looking at today is, is God homophobic? So let us pray, uh, because we need prayer. And this is a good time for any of you who brought projectiles to put those down under your seats. I'm not going to throw stuff at me today. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God, that you love people and that you love us. And I pray, God, today you'll give us ears to hear what you, Holy Spirit, are saying to us, the church, in this generation. We ask for your wisdom, your grace, and your insight in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I sat with a young woman just a couple of weeks ago, actually, um, who tearfully confessed to me that she was gay. Grew up in a fantastic uh, Christian family, great siblings, great mum and dad. But she said that from her earliest memories, she just, just always wanted to play with boys' toys, always wanted to wear boys' clothes. And as she moved into her teenage years, to her shock and surprise, she found that she was romantically attracted not to boys, but to girls. You know, as a, as a kid in 14, 15, 16, she didn't know what to do with that. She was ashamed. She was embarrassed. She kind of knew the teachings of the church generally about homosexuality. She had no one she could go to except for God. And so she went to God. For many years, she told nobody. She just poured out her heart to the Lord. And she found something absolutely amazing, that as she poured out her fears and her worries and her concerns to the Lord, she found His presence, His comfort, His kindness, and His great love towards her. You see, she said this to me. She said that her deep fear was not that she would not be accepted by God. She felt very accepted by God and deeply loved by God. Her fear was that she would not be accepted by her church, by her friends, by her parents, and by her pastors. Now, let me say as we start on this discussion that I hold to the traditional Christian thought on sexuality and marriage. I believe the writings of the Apostle Paul in Scripture and others on homosexuality are clear. You know, there are six primary scriptures that specifically address homosexuality. Genesis chapter 19, Leviticus chapter 18, Leviticus chapter 20, 1 Corinthians 6, Romans 1, and 1 Timothy 1. And I have to say, the theology is clear. What is interesting is that there's one consistent aspect in all those scriptures, and it's that they address the action, not the attraction. Now, this is a very important point here today, because what it means is, it means that it's possible to be same-sex attracted and not sin. 
in the same way as it's possible for me to be opposite sex attracted and not sin. And and so while I affirm the traditional interpretation of Scripture regarding sexuality, I do not necessarily accept or affirm the church's traditional application of that. I think for too long we we have lived our lives with an inherited theology instead of an investigated theology. And I think it's time again for the church to do that. And the sad thing is that I actually think that she was right. I think she had far more to fear from the church than she does from her Savior. You know, and I want you to understand this morning too, this isn't like a, this isn't just an academic thing for me. This is personal as well as theological. I have got extended family, friends, acquaintances, church members and attenders who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. Um, Some of them are Christian. Some of them are not Christian. But as a result, I've got to gain just the, the smallest glimpse into some of the complexities and difficulties of the issue around sexuality in our day. And you know, for some of us here today, we, we experience some of that at, at different parts on the spectrum. You know, for some of us here, the biggest sticking point already is simply what I have said so far, that I have shared that this young woman who recognized that she was same-sex attracted and that she felt that God completely loved and accepted her. Some of us are going, I'm not so sure about that. Some of us are going, well, God hates sin. Well, I would agree, true. Some of us would say, well, God is holy and perfect and righteous. And I would say, true. But some of us would then say, God will have nothing to do with sin or sinners. And I will go, not true. Not even close to being true. I mean, just read the Gospels, right? The whole point of the incarnation, that Jesus came and incarnated himself holy and perfect in sinful flesh. He came and he dwelt among us and his whole mission was to be with reach and to be a part of the lives of sinners that they might find their way through to redemption. And so that leads us to the question, right, about what is God's perspective on sin and sinners? Is God afraid of sin? Is God homophobic? Is God afraid or fearful of people in same-sex relationships? And it's such a strange question, right? Because it's so very, very simple to answer. God does not fear. God doesn't fear, period. Is God homophobic? Well, he can't be because God is not afraid of anything. You know, perfect love, the Bible says, casts out all fear. And God doesn't even have perfect love. He is perfect love. I mean, the Scripture says that love isn't an attribute of his. It's an identity of his. It's who he is. So there is no fear in God at all. In fact, fear, the concept of fear, is simply incompatible with God's nature and character. God doesn't fear sin. He doesn't fear sinners. If he didn't, I'm sorry, if he did fear sin or sinners... He wouldn't be living in you by His Spirit, and He wouldn't be living in me. Because, you know, I've been been doing it right for the last 25 years. I'm trying hard, but to my great frustration, just when I think I'm all good, God, got all the sin done, and I feel quite proud about that. Oh, there it goes again. There is no person, there is no nation, there is no group, there is no demographic that God fears. Listen to this, Psalm chapter 2. Verses 1 to 4, why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. Get this. And the one enthroned in heaven laughs. Like that's how God is worried. That's how much God fears that when the nations rise up against him, 
Do we honestly think that God is fearful of someone who is same-sex attracted, someone who identifies as homosexual, as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, whatever it is, intersex? Do we really think that God is concerned, is fearful about that? God is not phobic about anything, but we can be. And that is where the problem lies. You see, we the church have too often feared what is different to us. Feared sin, feared sinners, feared the impact and influence of sin. And look, in, in many instances, this is wise, right? You know, 1 Corinthians 15, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. There is stuff we need to be wise about. The influence of certain people, the groups we hang out with, who we choose to be our friends, who we give authority to speak into our lives. Absolutely, we need to be wise about those things. But we need to realize that so often we find ourselves in circumstances that, in which we are fearful about people different to us, and this leads us into judgment, exclusion, denigration, and hatred. And, and get this, so while we are, think we are making a stand against sin, we actually step into sin. And this is not just what Christians do. I mean, the world is genius at this. They, they do this all the time. The world is, is intolerant of intolerance. So in making a stand against the thing they think that we shouldn't have, they take on board themselves the very thing that they are trying to make a stand against. They do the very thing that they condemn. That The world excludes those who they think exclude others. The world judges those who they think judge others. The world hates those who they deem to hate others. You know, the devil is far more clever than we give him credit for, and he's quite happy for it to be that way. But you see, when it comes to dealing with the issues and challenges of sexuality in our day, there is only one way, there is only one example, and that is Jesus. And we're going to spend a whole bunch of time today talking about Jesus' perspective on this as best as we understand it from Scripture. You see, I've spent a great deal of time trying to understand Jesus' perspective on sexuality in our day. And I am deeply challenged, ladies and gentlemen, by His grace towards sinners. Those who sin sexually, those who sin culturally, those who sin financially, those who sin uh, against their families. And I've realized that I much prefer black and white. If it was up to me, I'm a law guy. Law is easy. Nice in here. You're bad. You're good. It's so easy. But God, luckily, is completely disinterested in my preferences. And he is into grace. And I'm so glad that he is. However, it's so interesting because God's grace, the more I investigate it, is unsettling. It is uncomfortable. And it is messy. God shows grace to people that, if I'm totally honest, I don't think I would. And I'm so grateful because in that same moment, I recognize that God shows grace to me when maybe others wouldn't as well. You know, for example, when I go to, the, to Luke 15 and I ask the question, you know, of the father of the prodigal son, would you have acted any differently if when your son had come home and he'd sinned against you and against your family name and he'd sinned against your faith and everything else, if he had come home, would you have acted any differently if he had said, oh, and by the way, dad, I'm gay? Or I'm bisexual. Or, or I, I'm not sure about my gender. Would the father have responded any different? And I'm forced to say, no, he would not. Because the issue was never about the specific sin. It was about my son was lost. And now my son is back. And we'll sort out everything else out on the way. You see, the father demands no audit of sin. He doesn't demand any confession from his son. 
The issue is just what was lost is now found. Now, I'm sure that there were some conversations down track somewhere around, son, what have you been doing? And, and what's God say about that? And where do we go from here? But it's important to know that we have to have those conversations later, not before they come in the door of our churches. And I have to ask myself, as I, am I as a Christian, as a church member, as a church leader, am I more like the father in the way I treat people different from us in terms of sexuality? Or am I more like the older brother who actually I desperately don't want to be like? You know, more importantly, I guess, I've tried to understand how would Jesus have me engage on his behalf with any person who comes into my world, into, my, into our church, into, our, into my home, who identifies with this aspect of life, who is lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, whatever it is. How would he have me engage on his behalf? Because that's the key thing, right? Because the scriptures tell us that we're ambassadors. I'm an ambassador of his. You are an ambassador of his. And the job of an ambassador is not to represent your own values and preferences, but to represent the values and preferences of those that you stand in the place of. And so this morning, I want to share with you five perspectives that I've become convinced that Jesus held, that we also must hold if we as the church are going to be relevant in this generation today. The first one is this. We are all sinners. We are all sinners. Hopefully you know the story of the woman caught in adultery. The Pharisees say to Jesus, well, what's your perspective on this? And Jesus, it says in John 8, he straightens up and he says to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. I mean, Jesus is the master. In one sentence, he levels the playing field. In one sentence, he corrects all of their theology. It's like saying, you, her, no different. Different sins, maybe, but no different. And I have to ask myself, would Jesus have responded any differently if that woman had been called in homosexual or in lesbian adultery? or in any other sort of sexual sin, rather than just adultery. You see, isn't it true that every culture, every generation, has its particular sins that it hates more than others? And in this generation, in this point in time, adultery was one of those most hated sins. What is it in our generation, would you say? And we've got to remember that, that I believe if Jesus was here today, he'd be saying the same thing. Oh, you want to make a stand against this? Well, let, let the one of you without any sin... You feel free to go make a stand against this. Now, this, that doesn't mean we, we, we can't disagree with, with sin. I mean, we've got to call sin, sin. But let us remember that you and I are just as much sinners as anybody else that walks in the doors of this church. The second thought is this. Jesus understood that to bring sinners to faith requires a relationship. The Pharisees asked his disciples in Mark 2, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I love the fact that Jesus built and sought a relationship with those that he sought to save. And that was his example. A doctor cannot heal someone without talking to them. Tell me what is wrong. Tell me what is going on in your life. Like he modeled this idea that actually if we want to reach people, we've got to know people. We've got to find out what their story is. We've got to hear what is going on in the world. We've got to build a relationship with them. And I believe that Jesus would have us do exactly the same with people that are different to us. The third thought is this. This is the third perspective I believe that Jesus held that we must too. That love is our primary perspective, motivation, and priority. 
Now, I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians 13. This is an exceptionally potent scripture. The problem is we've heard it so many times in weddings that we think it's a marriage scripture, but it's not. This is a a scripture, this is a, a teaching from the Apostle Paul to a church that was having all kinds of issues. I mean, just look through the chapter headings from 1 Corinthians 1 through to 1 Corinthians 12 and you'll go, wow, they had some issues. This is what... This is what God is saying through the Apostle Paul. Listen to this. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, if I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love. Listen to this. I am nothing. Here's what God's saying. He says, you know, your best preaching, your best praying, your best prophecy, you can know everything, you can have all the wisdom in the world, your best conferences, even your miracles, you need to understand this. You do that, and if it doesn't come from love, here's my scorecard, zero. We've actually got to get this. Look, our best Christianity, if it doesn't come from love, a deep love for people, we are wasting our time. And I didn't say it. Paul did. Here's the fourth perspective Jesus held that I believe we must too. Is that every Christian is on a journey. You're on a journey. I'm on a journey. I love this in Luke chapter 22. You know, Peter's just made this great confession about who Jesus is. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Three years of walking, like walking with Jesus I mean, like that's, like, that's even another level from walking with Pastor Ants. I mean, you, you walk past Ants, and you, you're, not, you're going to learn some stuff. But like Peter walked with Jesus, and after three years, he so messed up. Like he didn't even just betray Jesus. He just flat out lied. He just lied. I mean, three years. And, and we find out that Peter is still on a journey. Let's fast forward to Galatians 2, 15 years later. Peter's been given this incredible revelation, the most, one of the most powerful, important revelations in all of church history that the Gentiles are now included by God and the gospel can go to them. And in Galatians chapter two, we find Paul climbing into Peter because even though he had that revelation from God because some guys from Jerusalem came, he's now feeling the pressure and he's backing off from his acceptance of the Gentiles. 15 years and we find what? That Peter is still on a journey. Peter's still dealing with his fears, with his pride, all of those things. You are still on a journey. And we have to extend that same understanding to every single person we know. They're still on a journey. They're not there yet. I think that is so important. And then the fifth thought is this, is that when the time comes to call what is sin, sin, and sometimes you do come to that point, it will produce either repentance or opposition, and that's okay. John 7, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. So then based on these five perspectives, coming from, from, from this point of view, how do we, how do you and I, how do we navigate the issue of sexuality in the church and, and in this day? Unfortunately, the church has been largely responsible for shaming people. That's been our response. We shame people who describe themselves as LGBT with regard to their sexuality. And the problem with that is, as psychologist Dr. Brene Brown says, she says, guilt is about what I did, but shame is about who I am. See, when the church identifies issues of sexuality with shame, who I am, instead of guilt, 
what I did or what I do, we create a bigger problem, ladies and gentlemen, because what happens is we incorrectly make sexuality an issue of identity instead of an issue of action and decision. You see, if you tell me what I do is wrong, okay, that's one thing. I can, I can engage with that. But if you tell me that who I am is wrong, where do I go with that? What do I meant to do with that? So this leads us to the realization that sexuality is not the same as identity. Absolutely, sexuality can be a part of identity. But, sexual, but identity is far too big and rich a thing to be narrowed down to this one aspect of life, which is our sexuality. And so a person with a sexuality different from ours or from, different from what we're comfortable with, we've got to realize this. They are most importantly a person. And as a person, that means that they are adored by God. They are created in His image. He wants nothing more for them for them to know Him, to be conformed to the image of Jesus, to discover the gifts that He's placed with them, to live out the purpose that He put on their life. And, and if a person, regardless of their sexuality, is saved, they are saved by grace. They are saved by grace, by faith alone, not by works, not by having overcome their addictions or by having sorted out their sin issues, not by conforming their sexuality to some particular biblical pattern. They are saved by grace through faith alone. It is a gift given to me and my mess and my sin, given to you and your mess and your sin. Pastor Phil Pringle, the founder of C3 Churches around the world, he once said this, that the church is the only group of fishermen who want their fish gutted and cleaned before they get them in the boat. How grateful am I that God got me in the boat? How is my life transformed? Well, I think my life was transformed in three ways, and I would suggest perhaps it's the same for you. First thing is, my life was transformed Slowly. Man, I thought on the day I was saved, I was all done. <laughs> Apparently, we're still going. Secondly, my life was transformed by God. Yeah. It wasn't Pastor Bob or Margaret, Pastor um, Pierre or Yelta or, or any of the other team that transformed me. It was God who transformed me. It was the work of His Spirit sanctifying me, transforming me. But thirdly, I was transformed in community with a bunch of people who loved me, picked me up when I fell, told me off when I did stuff wrong, shaped me, and were there in the good and the bad. And because we're dealing with people, our approach, therefore, must be through the broad lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe this is the answer for us today, and this is where we're going to go with our remaining time. That means that when people walk into our homes, when they walk into our workplaces, when they walk into our churches, we must look at them and see them through the lens of the gospel. And that means some really important things, and I want to take you through that today. The first one is this. See, believing that that the gospel is centered on John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. And can we just make sure, church, that we're reading that right? It does not say, for God so loved the church that he gave his only begotten son. He so loved the world and all of its mess and sin that he gave his only begotten son. And that tells us how we've got to see them because when people come, they come as people made in the image of God. And so that means that when someone walks into our world, We've got to stop seeing them as their sexuality or whatever else is going on. And we've got to see them as someone made in the image of God. Now, look, look, I don't know about you, but I've seen people come in the doors of my church, the doors of my workplace. I've seen 
people come in with, with all kinds of things going on. Like I've seen people coming in with more metal in their face than I have in my kitchen. I've seen people coming in with, with walking a different way, talking a different way, all kind of crazy stuff. I've seen people coming in wearing dresses who shouldn't maybe be wearing dresses. I've seen stuff coming on, you know what I'm saying? But, but listen, when I see them and I go, oh, that's, there's, there's a sexuality thing going on there. That produces a reaction in me. But I look at them and go, hey, here's someone else made in the image of God. Can you feel that? Can you feel that difference? Man, that is it's just so different. And that allows me to go, hey, wow, you look like you've got a story. I'd love to hear your story. What's going on with you? And, and, and people are usually delighted when someone asks you to tell them their story. And that's the most, that, this is where we start. We've got to see everyone, firstly, in this way. We see everyone made in the image of God. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you on a bit of a journey. We're going to pretend someone's just come in who doesn't know God miles away, and maybe they've got some sexuality issues going on in their life. And we're going to track through how we as the church could potentially deal with them as they go forward. So first thing, is someone comes in, we see them as someone made in the image of God. And because they're made in the image of God, we know exactly what their next step is. And their next step is faith. Because everyone on this planet made in the image of God needs to come back to faith in their creator. Amen? We read this in Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have gained access by faith into the, this grace in which we now stand. Their pathway forward is faith. Someone comes in, how do you encourage them? But you've got to know Jesus. Come on, sit in the service. Would you, would you like to come forward? Would you like to pray that prayer? I'd love to. Whatever you do, it's encouraging them on that to take that step. That is their pathway forward. That is the pathway forward for anyone made in the image of Jesus. So let's now track it through. Let's imagine they've come in and they've and answered, preached a great, a great message and, and given a salvation call. And this person has given their life to Christ. They accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. This person now enters into the grace of God according to that previous scripture. And so now we've got to, We've got to be able to see them now in the right way. Ephesians 2, 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. And that means that because of this grace that they now are in, now we see them as someone in a relationship with God. Firstly, this is someone made in the image of God. Now this is someone in relationship with God. Now, that's beautiful because now God's at work in their lives, right? Now it's between them and God, between them and Jesus, between them and the Holy Spirit. And because we now see them as someone made, uh, so, sorry, now, as we now see them as someone in a relationship, God, we know what their next steps are. Because the next steps on the journey, once you're, once you're in a relationship with God, is obedience. Romans 1.5, through him we received grace to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. So we know the pathway forward. They've come in. They've got saved. They're now in a relationship with God. How do we encourage them? Man, just be obedient. Do your best to obey whatever God says to you, whatever God shows you through His Word, whatever God says to you through the Spirit, through the preaching, whatever it is. Obedience is the step forward for them. And so now they're in this place, right? They're in a relationship with God, and now they're beginning to obey Him. They're beginning to change aspects of their life as the Lord speaks to them. And now God is going to work on them. This is the realm of sanctification, of transformation, obedience to the Word and to the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3, and we all are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory. Now that means that now we see them differently again. Now we look at them and we see this is someone being conformed to the image of Jesus. Being conformed 
to the image of Jesus. And because they're being conformed to that, we know what their next step is. The pathway forward for them is faithfulness. Be faithful to what God has shown you. Be faithful for what, to what you've already been obedient to. Now, here's the amazing thing, right? We haven't had to even address their sexuality yet. Someone come in. We saw them as someone in the image of God. They got saved. We see them now in relationship with God. And now they're working out obedience as the Lord leads them. And we encourage them. And we see them now they're being changed in the image of Jesus. And now we encourage them to be faithful. And here's the next step, right? Because now when anyone does that, what happens after a while is people look at what's going on in their lives and they go, I want some of that. And so these kind of people now feel a call to begin to move into ministry or to leadership. And so now we see them as someone who is serving, serving others as examples to follow. And so, but what happens if, we've, if we've, we're concerned? What happens if maybe we're wondering about, are there sexuality issues in their life? Are they in an active lifestyle where they're you know, sleeping with someone, etc.? Well, well, this is when we have the conversation. This is when we, we sit down with them and we go, man, it's just been so awesome getting to know you and we're so delighted at what God is doing in your life. And man, we just love you being part of the community. You know, you just so treasure you and love what's going on. And it looks like maybe you're interested in getting involved in a bit of leadership. You know, Paul talks about leadership as being, you know, as following my example as I follow the example of Christ. And so before we can let you step into that place of leadership, we just need to chat about a couple of things. And I know you've had a bit of a history in this area. Do you know what the Word of God says about that? How do you read that? What does that mean for you? And then we have the conversation. But team, we have the conversation then, not when they walk in the door on their first Sunday. And here's the crazy thing, right? If they have resolved those issues, they're not involved in any sin in that area, then you know what? There's absolutely no reason why they cannot step on the platform, step into a leadership role in some way. And this is what we're going to have to deal with in the years to come. We're going to find increasingly people are going to be, we're going to see them in leadership roles that if we were to judge them by the way they talk, walk, present, all those, we would go, this person is in sexual sin, but they aren't going to be. Very recently, very tragically, an incredible man of God in our nation, Pastor Cy Rogers, passed away. And I'm not sure if you know of Pastor Cy Rogers. An incredible story, you know, being involved in homosexual lifestyle for many years, almost went through a, a gender reassignment surgery and then incredibly radically intervened by, with God. And, and he's had a, he got married, had kids. He's got an incredible ministry, ministering all around the world. But, but, you know, he still has many effeminate or had many effeminate mannerisms. If you were to meet him in the street and did not know he was a Christian leader, you'd say that he was a gay man. Now, the point here is, it comes right back to the start. If we judge people by sexualities, we're going to miss the whole thing. And so as we track someone through, to see them as someone made in the image of God, to see them as someone in a relationship with God, to see them as someone being conformed to the image of Jesus, and then to see them as someone who is serving others as an example to follow, helps us understand at each level how we encourage them. If they're just coming in the door, encourage them to faith. If they've come to faith, encourage them to obedience. If if they're moving in obedience and they've been conformed to Jesus, encourage them to faithfulness. But what happens when it all goes wrong, right? Let's talk about that for a moment. What happens if someone is uh, in a place of leadership and they've had a history of sexual issues? What happens if actually they move into unfaithfulness? Well, then we do with them what we would do with any other leader who moved into unfaithfulness. We would step them down from leadership for a season. We want to work on what was going on in their lives. They just need more work. And we know how to encourage them. 
We need to encourage them back to a place of faithfulness. And after a season of being tested like anybody else, if they prove faithfulness, they can go back into a leadership role. But what happens if that doesn't happen? And, and despite that, that they, they end up just going, I, I'm done. And they, and they are disobedient and they disobey what God has shown them. And they go and they get involved in areas of sin quite clearly and willingly. Well, then disobedience takes them a little further out, right? I mean, that's not ideal, but they're still within the grace of God. They're still covered by the grace of God. And we encourage them back towards obedience. We are always going to have people in the church in that space, disobeying God, but they haven't thrown it away. They're still in a place of faith. And if they're in a place of faith, they're still covered by God's grace, but they're doing it tough for whatever reason. And our encouragement to them at that point is to get back to obeying the Word of God and obeying what the Lord is saying. But what happens then, even if they, go, if they go, you know what, I'm done. Done with you Christians. Done with you church. I'm just going back into my old lifestyle. I've had it. What do we do then? You know, we've tried to have the conversation. We've tried to work it through, but it's over. What do we do about that? Well, they need more of God's love in their lives. They move back into that place where the love of God is available to everybody. John 3.16. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 18, verse 17, speaking of someone refusing to deal with their sin. He said, if they still refuse to listen even to the church, treat them, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Church, how did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? He hung out with them. He ate food with them. He built a relationship with them. And so when those people find themselves back in that place, we are not off the hook. And we get back into the place of loving them, trying to win them back, because that is the heart of the Father. Amen. You see, when we ask the question, is God homophobic? The answer is a resounding no. And the application is, is that we shouldn't be either. We'll get the team up now. It's going to come to a close. But, you know, many years ago, we had a lovely, lovely Maori brother in our church uh, who was also in a homosexual lifestyle. And he was really struggling with it. He was in a tough place. You know, he had some mental health issues as well. And, and um, one evening at night church, we spoke on this topic. And after the service, I was walking down the back of the chairs. It was all quite dark and the worship team was still going. And he burst out of the darkness and grabbed me by my shirt and was clearly distressed. And, um, and he said to me, Mike, Mike, what does this mean? Does this mean I can't come here anymore? I said, I said whoa. I said, Des, what are you talking about? There is no place in this city where you are more welcome than this church. Because he still believed. That's why he was there. He loved God. But he struggled to be obedient. And so I knew exactly what to say to him, right? What did I say to him? What do you say to someone who's struggling with obedience? Well, the pathway forward is obedience. I said, look, here's all we ask this. Is that, you know, as you keep on with Jesus, see, when you get a sense that maybe God's saying something to you through the Word or, 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 or through your reading or just by the Spirit and worship or whatever it is, just do your best to obey God in whichever way you can. Is that okay? He goes, he goes I can do that. I can do that. You know that, that girl that I talked to you about at the start, lovely Pakeha sister, she knows the Lord Jesus loves her. She, she has known God's grace on her journey and in her challenges. The question is, will we as the church also show her the same love and the same grace on her journey as the Lord does? Will we do that? Let me close in prayer today. God, I thank you for your wisdom, for your grace, for your word. 
God, you remind us that every one of us is a sinner. Every one of us is on a journey and every one of us is loved passionately by you. God, for many of us here, this is a deeply challenging topic. God, I pray that you will make clear to each one of us by your spirit and through your word what you require of us. Lord, I pray that we may be a bunch of people who will have open arms and the courage to welcome all you bring across our path. God, we know that real love serves. God, let us be a people who love and serve sinners just like you did, that we might see many come home. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.